Hey everyone, welcome to the Seek Outside podcast. This is Dennis. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask that if you've been enjoying our shows, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and by selecting all of the stars. Thank you. Today, Kevin and I are joined by Michael Cravens, the Advocacy and Communication Coordinator at the Arizona Wildlife Federation, a friend of Seek Outside, and a herper. If you don't know what that means, stick around and find out. So without further ado, Michael Cravens. Uh, but what's going on, man? Joe, uh, spending a lot of time indoors. Uh, you know, we're, we're still getting out. There. Uh, um, and low for me, for your average person, probably getting out than them but in a, a safe and responsible way. Yeah, I saw you. Uh, you had some family camping photos you shared over on the Instagram this weekend. Uh, out and uh, looked like a six-person TP. Is that right? Well, that is correct. Yeah, we get a lot of use out of that. Um, yeah, we yeah. Uh, we spent a weekend up in the Pinal Mountains uh, near Globe, Arizona. Um, you know, all the campgrounds are shut down, but but dispersed public lands camping is still okay. And we found a, a nice tucked away little corner. Um, and about the closest grove of aspens to the Phoenix Valley you can get. Got it. So, um, yeah, so let everybody know uh, where you're located. You're in sure. Arizona? Yeah, I, I, well, I grew up in, in Missouri, uh, but yeah, I have, uh, put my roots down as an adult here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I don't, don't really want to say that for sure because I don't plan on plan on staying in Phoenix. We're we're gonna get out of Phoenix, but um, but for now, this is this is where we are. Got it. You gonna stay stay in Arizona? You think or? Yeah, um, I love Arizona. Um, you know, there's there's always a pull, and don't misunderstand me. I, I love Missouri too. The Ozarks are are very near and dear. Um, and truth be told, I, I get excited about just about. You know, I, I love the Appalachians. I love the coastal plains, the Everglades, the Ozarks, the Great Plains, the Rocky Mountains. I really dig all. But, uh, you know, the Southwest, uh, the, the, the diversity of habitats uh, in Arizona is just mind boggling. And, you know, with over 50 percent public land uh, to explore those places, uh, it, it's there's there's worse places to end up. I'll put it that way. Yeah, totally. Um so uh, can you just give everybody a, a brief background kind of on um, your professional life, just kind of education and then your uh, new job, I guess, that you, you just started with the Arizona Wildlife Federation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, first off, you know, I, I'm extremely happy to be where I am now. Uh, the Arizona Wildlife Federation is is a firmly bipartisan organization um, that focuses on on wildlife, public lands, healthy habitat. Um, and the reason I, I'm fond of this organization is the same reason I'm fond of HA or Theodore partnership. Um, you know, these these are groups that uh, you know that they're not overly partisan. Uh, you know, with the Wildlife Federation, you know, we have as many people that like to look at birds and butterflies, including me, as, as we do people who like to hunt as well, including me. Um, and and I, I like the idea that we can get into offices that say Sierra Club can't um, and vice versa. You know, we can 
get the ear of someone that the the rock or the elk society cannot um you know we're, we're in a place where we play on both sides uh and uh that's where i am as well on a personal level so so it's a good fit for me and i'm glad to be here um what brought me here i would say is uh you know primarily just a, a lifelong obsession with with natural history and wildlife um and most of my my career up to this point has been spent some way and somehow working in wildlife or biology um a lot of that actually in bartending as well uh, probably far too many years doing that but uh ultimately it's brought me to this place and uh, i'm very happy to be here and doing the work that i'm doing um i've been recently really digging these uh wildlife photos on your instagram page uh Frogs, lots of frogs. Uh, oh, and things yeah. like that. Can can you talk a little bit about that? Because I didn't actually know that about you until you kind of started posting these photos. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Growing up in the Missouri Ozarks, um, there, there's no such thing as, at least there was no such thing as non-consumptive outdoor activities. So I grew up hunting and fishing um, and just exploring as a kid. I was lucky enough to live on the edge of town where I can make daily excursions out into the farmlands and in hills and things. So again, grew up hunting and fishing, fell in love with it. And literally, you know, uh, th that, that was all consuming to me. Um, as I got a little older, I started moving out to Colorado. Um, that's where I got into to paddling, uh, backpacking, things like that. So I kind of got away from, from the hunting and fishing. Um, but as well with that, uh, just general wildlife stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I dig all types of wildlife, uh, but reptiles and amphibians have definitely held my interest more than others. And I spent a lot of, you know, a lot of my years traveling around this country into different habitats and ecosystems, as well as, you know, other countries, South America, Amazon, Mexico, Central America, looking for these animals and photographing them. Um, so while my Instagram page is primarily hunting and fishing related, um, you know, that's a huge part of my life. And I try to tell, it's it's called herping, field herping, uh, short for herpetology. And I try to tell my, my herping friends that uh, it, it is hunting. I mean, when you're out with looking for a target species and, and you flip a rock and find a coiled up milk snake, you know, that red, white, and black pattern coiled up under a rock, and that was your target, and you found it finally after all that hard work, it's the same feeling you get when you put an arrow in an elk. Um, it, it is hunting, but uh, just in a different way. But uh, so yeah, finally, I, I thought I'd, uh, especially since it's the off season now, I'd, I'd throw some of that stuff up there and uh, just to mix it up a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So how often do you do that? The, well, is it, so it's called... Uh, say, can you say that again for <laughs> me? Field herping. Again, herping. short for herpetology, which is a study of reptiles and amphibians. Um, I, 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 I'm not getting that. I still enjoy it. Um, and I still go out with my kids looking for things. Uh, but the truth is, you know, I, I'm an adult now with a family and, and, and yeah. a busy, busy life. You know, I've got a four-year-old little girl and a seven-year-old boy and both my wife and I work full-time so there's not a lot of extra time so used to be I would you know uh, try to convince my wife that I needed to leave for a, a week in Mexico to go look for a snake or a salamander and I would come back with with nothing but empty pockets um, now <laughs> I, I typically spend all my time hunting um, and but the difference is now I can go to the mountains for a week. I, I get my solitude. I get 
my adventure. Uh, but I come back hopefully with a tangible good um, sure. to fill the freezer with. And in, so th this is a bit more appealing to her. Sure. Meat, meat in the freezer is more appealing yeah. than, than a, a photo, maybe. Maybe oh, yeah, a photo. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> a photo. But yeah, limited time is what it comes down to. Yeah, totally. Um, do you are your your kids excited to do that stuff? You know, because for me, flipping over yeah. a rock and finding a snake is not like it. I don't want to flip those rocks over. You know, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, oh, it's exciting, man! It's like opening a present. Um, so my kids, you know, I, I'm very proud that I, I have raised durable little children. Um, you know, they sleep on the ground with me. They they tolerate the cold. They'll hike all day. The downside is this is not overly exciting. I mean, don't get me wrong. They get excited. They love to be outside. They're nature little kids. But it's like, for me, I think the, the appeal or what got me interested in these animals or doing these, these things outdoors was, you know, it was something out of reach as a child. So I just dreamed about it. My kids, this is their everyday life. So, so we'll see how that turns out. You know, if it takes, um, they definitely love being outside. Uh, and like I said, they're, they're pretty durable little kids, but um, yeah, it's like, you know, seeing a big fat rattlesnake is not exciting to my kids because they've seen hundreds of them. So huh. yeah, we'll see yeah. how that turns out. Do you, do you have any tips for raising durable little kids? I have a, I have a two year old. Um, she seems pretty durable. You know, she bounces off the couch sometimes, but. Uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> an ad lib here. Uh, I got a call from, from my four year old girl's school. Um, and they were concerned something was wrong with her because she had had bumps all over her. They, they thought she'd caught something. It was mosquito bites. That's all it was. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. And maybe people will judge me harshly for this, but, but <laughs> I'm proud of that. You know, I think kids should have mosquito bites. I think they should have, you know, where, where the, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, but the telltale signs of, of being outdoors. You know, I think it's good for kids. I think it's healthy. Mm -hmm. um, as far as, Raising kids that can tolerate that kind of stuff or can be comfortable, you know, in, in uncomfortable situations. All I can say is, you know, when my boy who's seven now, when he was born, you know, at I think six weeks old, my wife and I were backpacking. And as long as we had mom, we had food and I could wear him on my front and a backpack on the back and, and we could stay out as long as we wanted to. And, you know, we were comfortable enough in the outdoors that that kind of thing didn't bother us, didn't scare us. Um, and I, I, I probably does a lot of new parents, but uh, for us, you know, it was it was pretty normal. And that's just how they've been raised. That's that's what we do, you know. Um, so they've never known any different. Uh, hmm. So I guess my tip would be start them young. Start them you know? young, yeah. So your durable kids, do they ever uh, give you any uh, grief about not having a floor in your tent? Oh, no. Uh, we, <laughs> I guess no, that's not true. We have had, we do have tents with floors. But yeah, that doesn't seem to doesn't seem to bother them. Um, in fact, when my wife and I were dating back in Missouri, uh, one of the first things we did together was a, like a couple night backpack trip. And, uh, in Missouri, you know, it's all leaf litter in the woods. And I remember pitching the tarp and shining my light under it and seeing all the little spider eyes in the leaves. There's like hundreds of them reflecting back at me. And I thought for sure that'd be a deal breaker, but it didn't bother a bit. So I think that was kind of a, that was, that was a, a deal maker for me, I guess. Yeah, the, the the light went off. You're like, all right. Yeah. And don't misunderstand me. We, you know, we, don't, we don't go out to be uncomfortable and roll around in the dirt, you know. Um, 
In sure. fact, you know, with the family camping and the car camping, you know, we're, we're taking pillows with us now. So that's something that I used to just hate to do. But um, so, yeah, we're pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the inflatable pillows. I think that's like yeah. my, my luxury item I will always afford myself. Um, I, I, can't, I haven't crossed that line yet. I just now got an inflatable sleeping pad. Um, I'm 44 and I probably should have got it a long time ago, but I, I feel like I almost lost something, you know, or I gave up, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I always use the closed cell phone, yeah. uncomfortable ones, but yeah, but yeah gave I, I got to admit it's nice. You gave up trusting your pad through the night. I've had I've had inflatable pads go belly up three That's four times true. in the woods. Mm. Yeah, I, I haven't uh, I haven't had to deal with that yet. It's still a new thing. I, I'm enjoying sleeping on it, but yeah, it's probably coming. Mm -hmm. That first that first night when it when you sink when you sink to the ground, you'd be like, "All right, I'm out. I'm going back." Yeah. Man, they're so light these days. It's just crazy, you know. Yeah, it, it, but it used to not be the case. Um, that's funny. So, uh, kids getting outside. Um, do you have, uh, so how old your kids? Seven, you said seven and four. Is that right? A seven year old little boy and a four year old little girl. Yep. How do they, how do they like being in the tent with a stove running? Oh, uh, they love it. Um, we all love it. Uh, of course the wife and kids, they love it a little bit more than me because they don't have to put it together and go collect all the wood and everything. But um, I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoy the heck out of, out of that stove. Um, you know, it, it makes an otherwise uncomfortable trip really, really nice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that and it, it, it heats up. I mean, I think we have the large, I believe the large, maybe the medium uh, and the six person. I mean, it, it heats it up fast. Um, and I mean, and then you can adjust it, you know, um, you're not going to get a load of wood in there that burns all night long, but uh, it, it'll definitely, it'll get you warm and keep you warm, you know, until you can warm up in your sleeping bag and then you're good the rest of the night. But uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. The kids like it. You just got to watch where they put their hands, make sure they know it's dangerous. You don't want them grabbing that, that stovepipe thinking it's the pole center of the teepee. Uh, that could be bad, but so far no accidents. Cool. Cool. Um I, I have a note here too uh, of uh, long distance hiking. And I know we, we had talked about some, some lightweight gear and a, a few conversations that you and I have had. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of what long distance hikes have you done um, and why, why is that kind of appealing? Sure. Um, all right, so I, I've done the Appalachian Trail uh, and then I've done the Continental Divide Trail. Um, of course, the Appalachian Trail runs from Georgia to Maine, uh, about 2,500 miles. Um, then the Continental Divide runs from Mexico to Canada through the, through the Rocky Mountains following the divide. Um, other than long walks, they're different experiences. Um, I did the Appalachian Trail, oh man, way back in 2000, I guess. And um, there was no lightweight equipment then. I mean, there was good equipment, but it was built for durability. Um, mm. By the time I got to the Continental Divide in 2008, the game had changed, and you know a lot of people were putting out really nice uh, lightweight equipment. Although most of that equipment was still being made by uh, you know mom and pop shops out of garages and things like that. Um, and I guess since from 2008 to where we are now, it's kind of going gone more mainstream. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you know, one one example would be. You know your average Nalgene bottle. Um, I carried a, a Gatorade bottle, which is the same size but weighs a quarter of what a Nalgene does, and it lasted the entire trip. 
you know, still has a wide enough mouth, easy to fill up. Uh, there's lots of little things like that you can do to lighten your load. And I, I'm not, you know, crazy ultralight. I, I don't take it too far. You know, I, I have comforts I take with me that aren't necessarily necessary. But um, I, I like to employ that into my hunting as well. Um, and and yeah, I will say this, so, so nobody else is saying it, it's just me, but I think uh, most of the hunting backpacking equipment is light years behind the backpacking, you know, for the sake of backpacking uh, mm. companies. But um, Seek Outside, that, that's where I like you guys. And I know you guys, your aim is not ultralight equipment, but you, you guys make some really practical stuff. Uh, you know, I'm carrying the... Um, uh, this is the Uniweep backpack, hmm. and I, uh, I've I've carried out shoot two elk, two bear, a couple avelina, mule deer, um, and, and even some really rough packouts too. One one bear was eight miles in, and then if you times that by three trips, you know it, that was ridiculous. You know, and, and some some serious climbs and descents there. Uh, and I love the way that pack handles weight. And for for a pack that light to handle weight that well just blows my mind. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. To like like going back to the AT um, the Appalachian Trail, like what? Why was that something that was on your radar in two thousand? Uh, you know, like had you read a book or just you know like why was it something that you you kind of wanted to do? Man, um, I don't remember exactly where I heard about it, but if you're somebody like me that, that loves the things that I love and you, you hear about something like that and you didn't even realize anything like that existed, you just can't shake it. Um, and yeah, just, you know, once that idea was put in my head, it just festered until, until I had to do it. And, you know, the truth is long hikes are hard. Um, they're, they're physically hard. But man, I'll tell you, they're they're a lot easier than getting up and going to work every day. You know, at least if you enjoy being outside, and I, and I certainly do. Even even when you're sleeping on a closed cell foam sleeping pad, yeah, not, yeah, not I mean, plush you, air. You sleep like a baby when you're hiking. You know, 20, 30 miles a day. It's yeah, you're gonna sleep good no matter where you are. Yeah. Do you have uh, Do you have any plans to do the PCT? Get, you know get what uh, what would be dubbed the triple crown, I guess, or whatnot. Sure, yeah. Um, actually a buddy of mine that I met on the Appalachian trail and, and then I did hike with on the continental divide, he finished it a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, that's always been in the back of my head. Um, of course, you know, things change. Um, I started having babies, I'm getting older, but my wife, um, she's, she's convinced we're going to do it as a family someday. So who knows, you know, um, I, I, I'm kind of like a dog. I kind of like live in the moment. I don't plan too far ahead, but, uh, but who knows? Maybe that'll become a reality. Um, has your wife done long trails too, like the AT and stuff? For no, no, she uh, she she didn't really do much of any hiking or, or backpacking at least until she met me. Um, she's not you know an obsessive outdoors person like I am. She's she brings you know a kind of a balance and normalcy to me. Um, she, she's kind of your, your regular person, but she's uh, you know she 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 loves being outside. She uh, she enjoys those trips. So yeah, yeah, be... she's not obsessive like I am. That sounds like fun to me, man. Take take everybody, the whole family down down the PCT. 
I don't see why not. Other families have done it. Um, you know, it just hasn't right now, you know, with a four year old. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. maybe in a few years, we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, speaking, of, speaking of dogs, I can see uh, your puppy there. Uh, I don't know. I, probably nobody will be able to watch our, our video here, but I can, I can see your puppy rolling around. Um, bird hunting, bird dogs. Is that uh, seems like you get after that as well. Well, I, you know, I'm just getting into it. Um, at least seriously, anyway, the, the dog dog end of it. Um, you know, Mern's quails. I know, I know. At least Kevin's familiar with them. Um, yep. in, in Southwest Arizona, uh, they're tough to hunt without a dog. Um, and a couple of years ago, I went down there just determined uh, to find some Mern's quail. I, I probably put in a solid ten miles and didn't kick up a single bird. The next year, I went back down there on opener and, and got lucky just on my own. I kicked up and ended up shooting six out of two coveys. But um, the, the point is that, you know, opened me to the idea of a, a bird dog. Well, I, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, I had a golden retriever, Quinn, who, who was, you know, my best friend for 14 years. When I lost him, you know, I always thought, and you know, I'll never get another dog. I can't replace Quinn. But the truth is, once you have a good dog in your life like that, you need a dog in your life. And when I lost him, it, it left a hole. Um, so it became pretty immediately apparent that I, I needed a dog. Uh, so that that's what got me thinking about hunting dogs. And the only thing I can't really hunt well without a dog, I mean, minus mountain lions and things like that are, are quail um so so yeah I, I went down that rabbit hole and uh i've had a blast on it i mean i got a heck of a dog back there he's still just a puppy it's amazing in the field yeah, yeah. he um he looks like he's a little spoiled too yeah for those who can't see he's he's laying their legs up in the air sometimes taking a nice nap on the on the yeah. bed and if I scroll through your Instagram, I see him cuddled with you like a girlfriend in one photo, and of you know, you know, <laughs> just just totally in with the family on everything. So it, oh, I, I have yeah. the same breed, you know that, and it, very similar. I mean, that dog is uh, she's she like she's very personable and really likes people. Yeah, man, I, I'll tell you what. I remember like Quinn, my golden. All his expression was in his face. I mean, you could just—I mean, he smiled at you. This dog, you know, if you if you tell him to sit and hold still for a a picture, he just looks like the most serious little man you ever saw. But and he is in the field. He's a serious little dude. He knows his job and he gets after it. But at home, there's some kind of crazy switch in there, and he's just—he's a goober. I mean, he's a lover. Uh, he's just—I mm -hmm. couldn't have asked for a better family dog. Um, and what, what kind of, what kind of dog is it? He's a German short haired pointer. German short haired GSP. Okay. Just for, just for everybody else. I think, uh, I know Kevin, but, uh, and Kevin, you have a GSP as well. Yeah. So she's, uh, she's a really fun dog and can do just about anything I want. She'll hunt with me. She'll go skiing with me. She'll go backpacking. She'll fish. She'll whatever. So. That's great. I'm trying to get uh, Edward here firmly established, um, you know, as a pointer for quail before I, I start moving into other things. I, I wanted a versatile dog because, you know, I'm a, I, I like to do versatile things in the outdoors. Um, 
but I like, you know, for instance, dove season will be the first season that opens up here this fall. And I'd love to take him, but you know, I'm also a little worried. Um, and I tend, you know, I think since he's new, I overthink everything, mm -hmm. but you know, I want him out there looking for, for birds and then the, and the brush and not, not looking at the sky for him, you know, but I, the truth is I, I genuinely think he's smart enough to know the difference and figure it all out. But I do tend to overthink these things since, since it's a new endeavor for me. Yeah, I'm not an expert at all, but um, mine just seemed to get it. You know, I mean, I took her down there for quail, and next thing you know, she's pointing quail, you know, and uh, it didn't really seem to, no matter what I do, I took her for a bike ride, I don't know, a week or so ago, and she, was, she wasn't she was unleashed, and we're just kind of barreling like 25 miles down a dirt road, and she goes tearing off the side of the road into the trees, maybe like 30, 40 yards, comes running back with a big old elk leg in her mouth and just keeps barreling down the road. <laughs> not, a, not a giant shed, though? Just, no, just no, like, no. Okay. Yeah, but she's found sheds, though. I mean, we just haven't been able to access the country really yet. So. Not yet, yeah. Yeah, mine uh, picked up a pronghorn. Uh, I guess it would what would you call a shed or a sheath, the the horn. But yeah, I would, I I would say a sheath probably. Yeah, but I guess I don't know. Um, cool, man. And then as far as uh, like your your backpack hunting goes, um, what's your what's your favorite thing to do? Is it oh. is it bear hunting? Um, I know you were just out bear hunting recently, um, chasing elk. Man, that's tough. Um, I genuinely enjoy it all. Um, I, I enjoy chasing squirrels as much as I enjoy chasing elk. Uh, I really do. Um, I, li I like diversity. I, I like, you know, seeing and cooking and, and eating, you know, a diverse array of wildlife. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a favorite. Um, I love chasing bears, absolutely. But then again, I love chasing elk and I love chasing birds. I love chasing squirrels. Um, you know, I like getting out into different habitats and looking for different species. So I, I really dig it all. What's, uh, what's like one thing you brought from that long distance hiking world into the backpack hunting world, you know, or, or a couple things maybe. Oh, yeah. Man, that's easy. Um, uh, it's just not carrying too much stuff. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I'm not extreme about it. I'm very comfortable when I'm out, you know, I'm prepared for anything, but my kit, um, you know, is a third of the size of, of, you know, hunting buddies that are just getting into backpack hunting and, you know, and they've got a load so heavy that they're just, they're not going to have a good time. They're going to be suffering the whole time they're out there. Um, and it's just unnecessary. Uh, you know, I guess I'm not in a position right here to like give details about what they're carrying that they shouldn't be. And, and granted, you know, with, with hunting things heavier, you know, I'm carrying a tripod, I'm carrying binoculars, a lot of times a small spotting scope. Lots of things I wouldn't carry on a regular backpacking trip. Um, but yeah, a lot of guys, you see them going out into the field, you know, when they're new to this and they have just massive loads on their back. And, you know, and if they were to get an animal down, how are they going to get that out? You know, how are they going to add that to the load they already have? Um, so that, that would be the main thing. It's, you know, after, after you backpack for a while, it becomes pretty apparent, you know, what you need and what you don't need. Hmm. Um, and it's easy to, easy to shave down that kit. But No, you don't need that much. Not really, yeah, it, no. It it really seems, you know, if, um, if if you're gonna go elk hunting, backpack elk hunting with a bow, uh, first week of September, like it would be advantageous in August to at least do one trip, maybe 
maybe even, even two trips, just even if they're local, right? If you're in Missouri and, and then you're traveling out west or something to do a couple overnighters and be like, oh, yeah, I don't need these things, right? Yeah. And, and really cut out that excess stuff. Um, cause even for me, if I don't, if I don't take a trip before September, that first, that first trip, I'm always like, yeah, didn't need that. Or, you know, right. didn't, didn't remember that, you know, uh, yeah, I just end up bringing probably more than I need, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- th- I mean, there's lots of things that, that you can do, you know, for instance, um, you know, I, I don't wear tennis shoes when I backpacking. I know a lot of people do very successfully, but then I've tried. I mean, I've tried for, you know, a couple thousand miles and it just didn't suit me. But, you know, I also don't wear super rigid, you know, lace up all the way up your calf type boots either. Um, and those might work great for some people as well. But um, I, I think people, you know, tend to try to overdo it. And like, for instance, you know, the boots that I wear every day, you know, in my everyday life are the same boots I wear backpacking. So, there are no surprises, you know, there are no hurt feet, there, there are no blisters. Um, I think, uh, I, I think people get excited about stuff um, and you tend to over plan, I think. Um, and that's not to say that you shouldn't be prepared. You know, I've always got rain gear. I've always got shelter. Um, uh, you know, I've got a, a, you know, a nice warm 15 degree, you know, 800 fill down bag, you know, that's always going to be you know, in a dry bag. Um, so I have absolutely everything I need, but, uh, but yeah, it just, you know, I think people get carried away and then they end up hurting themselves with mm-hmm. just too much equipment and too heavy equipment. No, I would agree. I mean, I'm not a big fan of most boots unless until there's, um, significant snow on the ground. I usually favor an approach shoe or a trail runner of sorts. Um, I think that, I think that uh, most of the hardcore boots have a tendency to a lot of times cause more problems than they solve via, you know, blisters and all sorts of things. I would agree. Um, I still like a full leather upper, but more of a lightweight hiker. Uh, Many, many years ago, I started with the uh, Vascue Sundowners. Um, and I love those boots. Then the company sold out. Uh, they stopped making them in Italy. I think they were Italian. Started making mm-hmm. them in Japan, I believe. Um, got a pair of those, and and they just fell apart. So then I went to a solo TPS. Those worked great for me until I came out to Arizona. Um, and the heat, the rocks, uh, the soles, I, I'd get barely a year out of them, you know. And there were 300-plus dollar pair of boots that I couldn't get more than a year out of. So... Just recently, at least in the past couple of years, I've switched to the uh, Downer Mountain Light 2s. Um, and they have a, a stitched on sole, so I can resole them. Uh, I haven't had to yet. Um, they don't, I don't know. I, I'm still, I've worn them for a year and I'm still kind of undecided. Uh, but so far, so good. Mm-hmm. They're holding up well. Um, Kevin, what uh, what's your favorite, if you, if you care, this share, kind of like uh, this shoes that you run or boots? Oh. Uh. Um, it depends. Um, a lot of times I use a La Sportiva, one of those trail runners, if it's real light. Um, after that, I really liked the old, um, 510 Camp 4s. And you kind of turned me on to the other, the new 510 since they, since they discontinued the Camp 4s. And those have grown Mm -hmm. on me. So I like those, I like those a fair amount. Um, when it comes to boots, 
if I have a favorite brand in boots, it's probably Scarpus. Um, they seem to have worked real good, but I'm, I still, I am, unless I wear them pretty regularly, um, you know, it takes some getting used to with my feet. And so usually, I mean, I don't, I don't pull the, that stuff out unless there's like real snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, that guide tenny is the, the shoe you're running now. Um, yeah. guide tenny by five ten. Um, <clears throat> It's been a, a favorite of mine for a long time. Uh, it's a, an approach shoe, right? Um, and I have a, they don't, unfortunately, they don't make the um, high top version of it anymore, but that's usually what I would run as a, it's like a lightweight hiker um, from 510. Um, and then from there, yeah, I kind of, I'm a big fan of the, the Scarpa as well. I don't, off the top of my head, can't remember what Scarpa I have, but I do have a little bit heavier, stiffer boot um, that I'll run as well. It's funny when, you know, we get into footwear and stuff, how everybody's just so different, right? That um, There's no one way to cut it, you know? Uh, I remember coming out of the woods one time with my with my guide tennies on. You know, they look like tennis shoes. And some guy, was he was, like, bewildered looking at me. He's like, what are, what do you got on your feet there? What are you doing, you know? Because um, he, he had pretty much seen me come out four miles or more. You know, and he, he couldn't believe that I was hunting uh, with a bow in like tennis shoes running around. So, um, yeah, this is just kind of funny that perception of what you need. Exactly. Um, cool, man. Do you, um, you have anything else you want to add or talk about? Uh, can you can you give me a rundown maybe about the Arizona Wildlife Federation and kind of like what what they do? Um, I know you talked about it a little bit, but I um, I'm not super familiar, I guess. All right. Well, the Arizona Wildlife Federation is an affiliate of the National Wildlife Federation. Um, again, it's a it's a bipartisan organization. Um, you know, they work on both sides of the aisles. Uh, uh, it was Drew Young Dyke said, uh, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere else, but it was a place where the the, the hippies and the rednecks could both get along, um, and you know, and that, that broadens our reach. And then you know, one of one of my pet peeves, um, and I think it's because you know I've played on on both sides of the consumptive and, and non-consumptive uh, sides of you know wildlife and advocacy and outdoor recreation, is you know if we could all get together. We would have an unstoppable army, you know. If we were all working for the same thing, nobody'd have a chance against us. Um, so I, I find it terribly frustrating that you know, the, if you want to call them the greens and the browns, can't get along. Um, I, 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 I like to put it this way: um, the Sierra Club and the Elk Society. Uh, let's, you know, and, and people are going to have different opinions on on what I'm saying here, but just bear with me because I'm trying to make a point. Um, let's call those two opposite extremes. Yep. The, the Sierra clubs out there, you know, they want wolves everywhere. They can have wolves. And the truth is I do too. Um, but then the elk society, they, they might have a different opposite opinion about that. Truth of the matter is though, um, they both want, you know, wild places, you know, with diverse, healthy wildlife populations. And the fact of the matter is, you know, the Sierra club would not have any place for their wolves and, and, you know, not to imply that they're leading the charge there, but one for the elk society and the habitat they've restored and helped and the elk herds they produce as a food base. Um, now, granted, 
it might be indirect that that might not be what we're going for but the truth is you know all of these groups are out there doing this work and, and i'm damn glad they're doing it um and i'm very happy to work with an organization that can reach out to both both those groups and, and work with them um here in arizona uh specifically you know, our, our big campaigns right now is, of course, uh, Mr. Pendley, William Perry Pendley is, is a problem that I've, I've personally been working on. Um, mining is a huge issue in Arizona. Um, then, of course, climate, that's that's the big, big, ugly monster that's just difficult to deal with. And uh, but, but these are all campaigns that we work on. I'll give you an idea. Got it. Um... How has, um, is there anything going on like in this kind of COVID-19 environment that people, you know, because everybody's fairly focused on that right now, you know, mm -hmm. um, is, is there anything going on at that state level in Arizona um, right. okay. that people so, should be aware of? Well, a, a lot of things have been put on hold, um, obviously, you know, where we're not, we're not out there trying to drum up donations from people right now or anything like that. It's just not a good time for people. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, you know, it's times like these that, you know, the people that want to put a uranium mine in, you know, on the rim of the Grand Canyon, they're not going to stop because of COVID-19. Um, in fact, they might see this as an opportunity to slip it in because the general public's focus is, is elsewhere. Um, so yes, while things have kind of slowed down, that that's the kind of stuff we're keeping our, our, our ear open for and, and watching for. Um, you know, th those are real threats. Uh, they're not going to go away. You know, th those folks, they're not going to let COVID-19, you know, slow them down. So, 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 you, mm -hmm. so you sort of alluded to it. Um, talking about conservation a little bit, that there seems to be a relatively clear division between the recreation crowd and the hunting crowd. Unfortunately. Yes. Um, and I've talked to a lot of people about this division. I think this division is intentionally exploited sometimes by other companies, you know, that you know, just the way they do in politics. Sometimes they try to appeal to their base hardcore. Um, so I do think that companies have marketed specifically to the division as well. Um, I've also talked to people that on both sides of the aisle that are into trying to bridge that gap. But then you'll hear people that are like, no, I don't. Like, for instance, uh, I'll give you an example. Forrest McCarthy, right? He's a... Uh, an adventurer out of Jackson Hole, I think. And he's written something that, you know, that there should be a, a backpack tax similar to like what the hunting and fishing community does, right? That, you know, he's like, look, I see all these people skinning up the side of the mountain. Everyone's got $2,000 worth of backcountry ski, ski gear on, probably at a minimum. You know, what, what does a little tax, you know, hurt on that to help support public lands and places and give the recreation crowd a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. um, but then I've also heard people say, well, I don't want you to have a seat at the table because I want to control the whole dialogue myself. So I don't want these backpackers or recreationalists to come in here and start saying, well, we want this done with land or think this would be a good idea. Um, so how can you start to, bridge some of that. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be a, we've always wanted to build the bridge. 
but that it is such a chasm as the way it's divided at times. It is. Um, yeah, you, you, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I, I see, you know, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I feel like backcountry hunters and anglers is a good example that there are a lot more forward thinking sportsmen out there than we previously realized. They just didn't have a voice, a collective voice. I think they're out there. Um, you know, that in, in combination with kind of the, the locavore foodie movement, they're bringing other people opening their eyes to hunting. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not a fix-all, but but I think we're moving in that direction. At least, you know, in my bubble, we are. Um, and I also think, you know, I agree with you, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to let, uh, you know, those, those non-consumptive users, they don't want to give them a place at the table. But, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I understand the place they're coming from, too. You know, I don't want to be, I want my, I want to continue hunting until I'm too old to do it. I want my kids to have that. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm selfish um, and I love it. But also two, you know, it's it's undeniable if you will open your eyes and look at it, the the good that this, this North American model we've constructed does for wildlife and wild places. We would not have what we have today if it wasn't for that. But the unfortunate truth is that's not enough to sustain it. Um, not with the way things are going. And and the truth of the matter is we're going to have to, you know, provide a place at the table for those non-consumptive users. And as far as I'm concerned, they're welcome. Um, you know, we need that. You know, I love to hunt fish, um, but it's it's my hobby. What, what I care about more than that is is healthy wildlife and healthy ecosystems. Um, that That's the big picture to me. You know, that's where I want to focus my attention. So they're, they're welcome as far as I'm concerned. Awesome. Um, cool guys. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, you know, I've, I've, from a personal side, you know, I've worked, uh, used to work at REI. Um, and now I work, you know, for a hunting company, right. Uh, grew up, grew up hunting and then went that other way for a long time, uh, rock climbing and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and found my way back to the, to this hunting hunting as well um yeah it makes a lot of sense that you would want as many people at the table as you could get at the table right uh to kind of kind of talk about the protection of these wild places so that that's for me the over enveloping important issue you know there there is no hunting and fishing if we have no place or the places are, are, are wildlife um so so that should that's the foundation that that's where we should focus our energies in my agreed. opinion agreed 100 cool um any anybody else have anything else to add or we can uh, we can wrap it up well man i, I would say I love the stuff you guys are producing. Um, please keep doing it and doing it the way you're doing it. Um, I, I got to get my hands on, on a Silex or Areolas coming up and, a, and the Cuban Fiber or Dyneema. Um, but yeah, you guys have got some great stuff. Uh, I like what you're doing. Um, and there's not a lot of companies. And in, in, with that, the conservation message too, you know, not only do you make great gear, you know, you, you, you have a strong conservation uh, message and, and you give back. 
Um, you know, these are things that, granted, I'm not the mass consumer, but uh, you might do better if you focus on them. But what you're doing now really appeals to me, and I'm, I'm glad you're out there. You're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. I will say that um, the path isn't always easy. Um, we've had our share of critics. We get some people are like, I don't care about conservation. Just sell me product and shut up. Or we get people that don't understand, well, why you want to be lighter and hunting, and especially backpack hunting. So, I mean, it's been very rewarding. It's been very good, but it hasn't always been easy. Um, cool. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> thanks. Thanks, Michael, for, for coming on. Uh, I know people can find you on Instagram. It's, is it MLC Outdoors? Yeah, that's MLC for Michael Lance Cravens Outdoors. Michael Lance Cravens Outdoors. Um, they can also, do you have a, a website or anything? No, no website. I mean, okay. I, I play around on Facebook too, but, uh, you know, Instagram is, is where I primarily keep my, my outdoor recreation and my hunting and fishing. Cool. Uh, definitely, you know, keep an eye out for videos on Hunt to Eat. Uh, we're yeah. producing what's called Community Kitchen now. And as soon as I get off here, I'm going to get back work back to work on that. And the idea there is, you know, I, I get more attention for cooking wild game dishes than I deserve. Um, I, I'm truly, I'm a truly a hack in the kitchen. But uh, so the idea is to to produce some some tutorials or how to videos that you know, speak to the common person. The idea is if I can do it, anybody else can do it. So, so definitely we'll watch for those. Yeah. And you just, what was your recent one? Is the scotch eggs? Oh yeah. I was so proud. That was my first time ever doing them and they came out perfect. Yeah. They looked amazing. I was like, I don't know, man, I think you're pretty good in the kitchen because if I tried that, I, well, they wouldn't look that good for sure. Yeah. I got lucky there, man. They, they, they turned out nice. Cool. And where can they find that stuff? Is it just, is it, does Hunt to Heat have a YouTube yeah. channel? Uh, yeah, go to hunteat.com, uh, you know, go to their story section, look down through there. Um, there is a YouTube channel. Hopefully that's going to be uh, becoming more robust in the near future now. Cool. You should be able to find everything you need on hunteat.com. Awesome, man. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and um, hopefully we get to talk again soon. Hey, it's my pleasure. You guys have a, awesome. have a great evening, and uh, stay safe and, and healthy. <laughs>